This podcast is brought to you by UK Coaching, here for the coach. Visit ukcoaching.org to grow your coaching skills and be part of the community. Good afternoon, everybody. Um, welcome to the Curious Coaches Club. And this, for me, is a, is a really important topic. And whilst we're really there to support coaches, I think it's sometimes really useful that we bring in some different perspectives to support coaching. And what's critical at this time is helping young people, um, whatever age, whatever sport, kind of return to play. And from a physical perspective, I think that's, there's a, an interesting angle that coaches don't often know and don't have much expertise in. So the fact that we've got a couple of fantastic people here today will be really helpful for that. So as ever with the, with the program, please get involved in the chat box. Tell us what sports you're involved in, which is always great. So it can help Ali and Matt with a little bit of um, specific input. Uh, we will continue the conversation in Connected Coaches. So you can get involved on the, uh, on the site there with any kind of further questions and follow up bits and pieces too. And we'll give you the link at the end to what's coming up. So, um, uh, I'm going to give Ali a fraction longer to think about this because I'm hoping he's read the message from Alan. But rather than have a 15-minute uh, a bio from each of them, um, I've asked them to describe in three words how one of their mates would, uh, would describe them. So uh, it might give us, depending on which friends they picked, um, an interesting insight, just a bit more into them as a person. So what three words would you use to describe yourself and how would you describe yourself in one word? So Matt, let's let's start with you and uh, a little bit on, on who you are as well in terms of your background. Yeah, um, right. In terms of three words, um, I've gone with reasonably polite ones. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, my wife described me as scruffy. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm, I'm thinking some friends at work might describe me as quite picky over stuff. And the other one I went for was jovial, because or I'm not particularly serious, maybe. So um, I went with those three. Um, and I think the one to describe myself, I went with enthusiastic. Um, or there's plenty of others I think people might, um, that maybe can't be repeated, that people might describe me as. Uh, I'm sure. And what's the kind of the, the one-liner on your your role and and what you do? How would you describe yourself in that way? Yeah. Well, I've, I've actually got two roles in my job. So most of my week, I'm a I'm a lecturer um, on the undergrad and postgrad courses at Teesside University um, around biomechanics, strength and conditioning. And then a day a week is more around supporting athletes, um, student athletes, but mostly around our girls' football regional talent club. So I've got a day a week applied and four days a week talking about the theory. Brilliant. Nice mix, though. It's better than uh, all of one and none of the other. Yeah. Ali, over to you. Oh, that's a bit tough, isn't it? I was, uh, yeah, you'd say put on the spot being asked this uh, only a couple of minutes ago. But thinking about maybe three, three words, how my, how my friends would describe me, I think one of my best friends generally says not fun anymore so there's the <laughs> and uh, and look and, and that's maybe what what comes with being you know passionate uh sort of goal directed and single-minded in in what you do and 
and uh, and there's probably the three from me. I think when you get engaged in the line of work that we do and make the sacrifices that you need to make to to do it in the right way, then sometimes your your friends get left to the side a little bit. So hence why you're not fun anymore. But um, you know, I try to try to do do my bit. But uh, but as I say, you know, it's uh, it, it's a very full on full-on role doing what we're doing uh, when when competition's up and running and to be fair when competition hasn't been up and running which we're going to do uh, a lot of talking about i think i think today and um and yeah so so yeah that's how it uh how it's summed up i think and what's what's your role at wasps so i'm the head of medical services uh, i'm a physiotherapist by by trade and um and by qualification but i manage the the medical team so we have a team of doctors of various different disciplines, um, some of whom will be mainly match day orientated, some might be more general practice orientated, and then some might be more sort of specialist sports medicine. And then I've also got a team of physiotherapists that, again, have different biases. Some may be more orientated around, you know, rehabilitation and, you know, others may be more on the sort of diagnostic and sort of, you know, uh, short term bits. And obviously, we've got our sort of trauma elements that we deal with from day to day. And I sort of just blew all that together, really, um, in the most efficient way possible, um, making sure that we're keeping track of where things are going, uh, setting tone somewhat, and then just making sure that the communication between the sort of performance department, uh, essentially with the strength and conditioning team, and the coaches, that everybody you know, uh, essentially knows the, the general flow medically of the team and the, and the general states of players so that we are managing them best as we can when they're on the field or, or when we're preparing for selection. Sure, brilliant. Okay, so nice, a nice mix of working across different specialisms there. Mm-hmm. Um, so for, for people that are listening now, um, what you've got in front of you is, is, a, is a couple of real experts with a real breadth of knowledge about um, helping people improve and uh, please use that moment that we've got with them now. So lots of different sports coming up, you know, boxing, equestrian, shooting, athletics, football, uh, women's rugby, lots of different sports. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll stay away from getting Ali and Matt to comment too much on um, the training of horses. I'm not sure that's um, a massive specialism, um, but uh, feel free to throw in other other questions linked around those kind of physical components. But I think what we're going to start with, just understanding the impact of lockdown. Mm. So we've had what is virtually coming up to five months, I suppose, of um, which will be a mixture of inactivity to some activity and anywhere on that scale. So Ali, let's kind of dip in, in from a WASP's perspective. What's that kind of looked like throughout that spell for you? And, and what are the key things that you've had to put in place to try and kind of maintain some element of physical activity for the players you work with? Yeah, so look, I think firstly, it was just a, a massive time of uncertainty. Um, and it seems like a while to think back, but you'll all remember, and, and, and some of you may be more involved in the community elements of the game, may not actually be back yet. I feel like lockdown has sort of come to an end. We're actually approaching uh, our first fixture um, this week on Sunday back in the Premiership. But the first thing that strikes me is the uncertainty at the start. We, you know, 
one minute we thought it was okay and then Boris spoke and that was it. There was pretty much a, a line drawn under it. And I suppose the first round of uncertainty was was how long was it going to be? So when you've got a group of, of athletes um, that, you know, are always in, you know, a varied state of physical preparedness, but an uncertain length of time off away and out of the program is a huge threat to these guys. So we had to think very, very quickly about how well we had these guys already profiled and also how we could try and plan to maintain a level of conditioning to reduce the risks of the of the eventual return. And so that's what we did very quickly. We we all sat down as a team that would be medical and strength conditioning and coaching and trying to almost take a bit of a short, medium and long type approach. Um, and then we could then almost empower the players then when away to then, you know, be self-directed in the work that they were doing with, you know, some degree of um, some degree of oversight. Um, and so that's how we we sort of attacked it. But it was a very, very uncertain time. And initially we're thinking, was it going to be three or four weeks? And you were you're waiting every week. And and that was quite tough at the start because almost you wanted somebody to tell you it's going to be this long so you can sort of switch off to a certain mm. extent. And we kind of couldn't. We all thought maybe it's next week, maybe it's next week. And I think we reached a point where there was a, a bit of a, a, you know, a time scale was put on it that we're definitely not going to be back for a period of time. And there's an element of relief around that. And that enabled us to, to sort of, you know, relax a little bit. So, so to be a little bit more sort of, you know, granular about it, I suppose, you know, there's, there's aspects of, you know, physical conditioning, which we were going to be concerned about around these guys. Um, one of the main things was essentially their running capacity. Rugby is a, a running-based game. A lot of injuries, whether it be sort of soft tissue or joint-based issues, um, you know, can have, have be affected by their, their running volumes. And if they come down for too long, uh, then getting them started again can be can be troublesome. So so yeah, so when we're talking about the short, medium, and long, there's a lot of running-based programs that were given uh, with some guidelines around how much should you be doing, what would be the frequency, when should you be taking a break, et cetera, et cetera. Um, one of the biggest constraints I would say we had was access to external load. Um, so anybody that's been on the internet trying to find um, things for themselves, the whole home gym industry, I think, was literally uh, sacked within about the first two weeks. Um, we, uh, again, when we sort of said goodbye to everybody, a lot of people went with dumbbells in hand or bars and plates and racks, etc., to try and set them up at home as best as we could, because, again, at that time, we, there was no way of, uh, of knowing how long that was going to be. And then I suppose myself, from a medical perspective, you've got guys profiled and you realize what were going to be the threats to, to certain individuals. Let's take sort of tendon related problems. Then, you know, these structures need uh, an element of, uh, of loading to, to keep them functional. Um, so it was about trying to profile these guys ASAP and then sending them away with, with information with regards to how they could, could load. Um, and there was a, you know, a, a huge, a huge amount of creativity, uh, 
that had to that had to go into that really. Um, so um, so yeah, yeah. There's a couple of bits I want to dip into in a second. Yeah. But please. Matt, what was the what was the impact for 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 you? What what kind of things were you seeing? Yeah, I, I suppose similar in a way that um, when it all started, we we didn't know how long. Yeah. Um, which which was tricky, um, and it was coming towards the end of our season with the certainly with the girls footballers. So we could put an end to it for a little bit of time, but then we were also conscious that they could be doing absolutely nothing. Um, so we we have the challenge of how can we get this, how can we get some sort of information out to the players that they can engage in. Um, and we tried a few few things. We tried uh, using Google Sites to try and put on some home-based exercise they could do to try and develop kind of fundamental movement skills and a little bit of strength work they could do at home. And some. What kind of things did that involve in? Let's get into a little bit of detail on that. What, what did that look like? It, we, we tried to keep it relatively simple. Um, so it might be just working through some squat patterns um, with a little bit of balance work. We, we put a bit of isometric stuff in there. Uh, where they had to hold a position for for a certain length of time, um, and some videos we, we we were scrambling together really to get stuff that we thought they needed, and stuff that we had content that we could try and um, oh, I mean we videoed a little bit at home as well and things like that. And, and thinking about I think for us it was quite important that again as Ali was mentioning access to kit, and we we had to presume that people had absolutely nothing. And no access to anything so things you could do with body weight things you could do with just stuff that you've got in the house um so we spent a bit of time setting that up but then we had the problem of trying to get the players to engage with it um and the trouble with that, that it's not very it's all going one way isn't it and we we found that they weren't really engaging in that kind of information or if there were we didn't really know about it so we didn't know how it felt. Um, we tried to put a little bit of monitoring in via kind of Google Sheets and things. Um, but again, some players might pick it up and some players didn't. So we actually decided after a few weeks of that that it wasn't really working. Um, and we set up some sessions via Zoom. Um, so we've been running probably for I don't know how many months now. <laughs> um, <laughs> we, we thought it'd be a few weeks, but... Um, Sort of a couple of strength and conditioning sessions a week via Zoom for for our age group. So um, a couple of sessions for the 14s and 16s, and then um, a session for the um, 10s and 12s or the younger players. Um, and and that's that's worked really well. It, it was a strange thing to set up to start with, um, and and kind of know what to do and know how people would find it. Um, but there's a little bit of interaction there, and I think it was quite nice actually, particularly in that lockdown period where kids weren't going to school and they're, they're, they're kind of stuck in the house or with the parents or the siblings. It was actually quite nice for them to see each other and engage in a session with other other kids, even if it's via a, via a computer. Um, so so we've done a lot of stuff around, around um, uh, on Zoom, which has worked really well, and then tried to, from that, tried to give them some stuff to go away with, be it a, a running-based um, challenge, um, or a football-based challenge, just so that they've got something to um, to do outside of that. Um, yeah, yeah that's I, I can imagine that that piece of creativity and seeing how you deliver things and and having to go from we've got nothing to right, what can we provide is a is an accelerated phase of learning for you guys in your roles as much as it 
you know, trying to deliver what you might do in the real world probably looks slightly different. And I can imagine that that social piece of, you know, where you've been used to coming together and everything that comes together with, you know, 10 to 16 year old girls across a, a number of teams or, or working with different squads with, um, or with Ali at the, at the seniors end, that social element's a bit of a challenge. So uh, Ali, how did you kind of manage some of the challenges that go with that piece as well during lockdown? Do you know, it's a, it's, a great, it's a great question and something I reflected on a lot at the time. Um, there was a lot happening in the world around that time and not just COVID related. And it struck me how many things you air in the physio room and how, how much stuff you get off your mind and get off your soul and also sort of you like find a bit of a barometer of, of, of sort of what society generally thinks of certain views. And when you're isolated, you see things and you're interpreting it yourself. You're like, oh, right, wow. And I think to myself, I wonder what the lads would think about this because the, the forum of the medical room, it's great. You chat about so much stuff. It's generally open plan setup. So whether it be something that you saw on television or whether it's something going on elsewhere in the world or whether it just be what was, I suppose, extremely current, how the government were actually managing the COVID situation. And I'd be at home maybe speaking to my wife about it and not speaking to a lot of other people about it. It's just, it, and so it was really, really interesting. Um, so, so how did I manage that? Wow. Um, I suppose it was death by Zoom to a certain extent with, uh, with a lot, wasn't it? It was an incredible amount and maybe you know, we all reached out to those friends, those friends of mine that don't become fun anymore. Maybe there's a little bit more um, chitter chatter with, with those guys. But also, um, you know, with my team as well, because, you know, my team felt very isolated. Uh, I think all of the medical practice got very much directed around, around me in that time. And I sort of led on those things. And, and, and people consequently, you know, sort of had identity stripped somewhat. Um, and, you know, we're at home with, with not a great deal to do. So, so really, it was then about thinking, well, where's the opportunity in lockdown? Because there was an opportunity in lockdown. There's no doubt about that. Um, and we saw it as a great opportunity to, 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 to learn and develop ourselves from a CPD perspective. Um, we would put on a, a session once a week with the, with the physios. Um, some of it was very reflective, um, not just looking at sort of fairly dry scientific or medical subjects, but thinking about reflecting on us as a team. And really, I know we all, we all do it, but you don't always have the time to do it. It's the sort of thing that you do at the end of a very, very busy season and then you sort of then everybody goes away and then you come back and the time to reflect and then the time to rebuild is often quite compressed. Um, so we did a lot of that. I got an incredible, incredible amount out of that um, and, and just general, general sort of CPD pieces. But, but yeah, back to your, back to your, your, your point. Um, yeah, it, it was a very, very interesting time. People felt extremely isolated and, and I think I just sort of engaged myself very much in the work that, that I was doing, very much in and around reflecting on my practice, and then also, you know, taking advantage of seeing more of my family than I had done in probably about eight years. Mm -hmm. Did you notice anything um, from, 
your team, the coaches or the players around an impact on mental health and well-being? And if so, you know, how did you kind of go about supporting that as well? Yeah, so so look, this is a a very current piece in in society and and in sport. Uh, and there is some you know really well publicised sort of movements and and in rugby and football and uh, you know in, in lots of other sports. There's a lot being done. We have a nominated mental health sort of lead, if you like. Um, we as a as a club um, screen for mental health through sort of questionnaire based uh, exercises. Um, this is all sort of done, you know, confidentially through our, our sort of mental health lead, and then uh, he is then able to to support, um, you know, who is you know who requires support, as in driven by either what comes off from the screening or people sort of finding their way to him, knowing that he is that, that, that dedicated. So that would be maybe more of the sort of the higher level. In terms of the more, you know, more subtle, preventative, team-based approach, then look, the, the management were, were fantastic in bringing us all together. And I think a big thing for them was about communication. So we would have, you know, Zoom calls, really just to bring us together as a, as a team, social type calls, you know, mm-hmm. where we could all just update on where we were, where things were going. And, and often, you know, when people feel engaged and informed and, and involved, then that is, is as much to, to, you know, to empower them and, and can be a great, uh, a great assistance with respect to mental health. But, um, but yeah, it, it's, it's difficult to talk about any sort of individual cases, but, but you know, for sure, it, it would have been a challenging time for some people. Yeah, absolutely. Matt, what are the other things that you've uh, observed or noticed throughout that lockdown period that whether it's you then having to support the coaches with or you supporting the players with? Yeah, um, I think what what we found that I suppose with, with the players is, I mean, they seem to be doing all right, actually, the ones we're engaged with, probably, probably more so than I, I thought they would be. Um, but we we were, we were conscious that particularly if we're seeing them over Zoom and we're seeing a lot of them, sometimes it's maybe in a in a live session and you can sort of go up and have a chat with someone individually. Very difficult to do in that that situation. So we'd set up a little bit of a monitoring system, which is just asking a couple of basic questions on a like it scale. But I also made it compulsory for them to put a comment in. And we've we've not had many, but every now and again we've picked up the odd comment that that's needed maybe just just picking up at with a player and I think that's been quite useful because they've been able to put put down how they're feeling and and let us know um, and then we can just sometimes it hasn't needed much it just needs to acknowledge that um, but I think that's been quite helpful and um, obviously you can pass that kind of information on if it's a safeguarding uh, issue or anything with the, with the kids but um, I think that was quite nice so they can sort of anonymously put that kind of kind of information in and we can pick it up with them. So that's been quite useful and, and something that was quite difficult to do in, in that kind of Zoom environment, really. Um, so, yeah, that, that's been quite good. Um, and I suppose with our physio staff and some of the other staff we work, work with, we, we have tried to do the, the odd Zoom session, have a chat about things, and that, that's been quite good. It's just been quite nice to get together, even if it's kind of virtually. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've tended to do with our staff. So the the physios that, that work for us, particularly with with the girls' football, they're they're um they've got the day jobs in the NHS. So 
Um, they've been particularly busy over this period. Um, so we, we tend to catch up on an evening and it might even be like 45 minutes on a Friday night or, um, and then I think we've even had a session where we just said, I'll just bring a beer along as well. And we'll just, mm-hmm. there's a couple of things on the agenda to get through, but then we'll just have a chat afterwards. And I think that's been quite nice for people. Um, yeah, I think that, I mean, that they're really important messages for everybody. I think about it, it's, I think by nature as humans, we, we're quite social creatures. And that connecting piece is really important. And what one of the things that I've noticed is lockdown has helped coaches and, and people that have a coaching role, which I would class you guys as that in that anyway. Um, it's actually helped people understand others better, but who they are as people, not just, you know, they're an under 14 girls footballer or they're a rugby player. You actually start to understand them as individuals a bit more. And I think for, for coaches, one of the things that we talk about is, is, is the coach-athlete relationship and whatever that kind of looks like is so important, but it is often given lip service to and not done well enough. But this period has meant that we probably now, you know, I've seen everybody in our team's kids on screen. We, yeah. we know every, you know, but, because that's the reality of it. And, you know, there's, there's a high chance that we're a six-year-old sticking his head around the door today because he's curious and, you know, wants to know what's going on. But but we have had those different connections now. And it, it's sad that it's taken a pandemic to drive us to that. But I think it's really healthy that we're now starting to understand people a bit more because of having to work in a different way. So, so I think that we are bound sometimes um, by cultural expectations within the environment in which we are, and a lot of them are very strong. Um, and I think that the constraints that were posed by COVID has really challenged some of those, you know, those cultural elements that I think... Which ones do you mean? Tell, tell us a bit more. Which ones yeah. are you thinking of? So, so I think that... Uh, a lot of us workaholics find ourselves in these sorts of environments whereby, you know, we are the first in and the sort of last to leave. And, and I work with a few of these these characters and and it's almost, you know, not being there the whole time and, and realizing that you can be at home a bit more and can see your family a bit more and this isn't actually a crime. I think that that was very uh, a big piece for me, and I genuinely felt that in lockdown there was a battery inside me somewhere being recharged. And and what what I will say, that, you know, before you know, we sort of talk about these sort of um, you know hidden benefits of, of of lockdown is so mindful that this has been a terrible time for a lot of people and. You know, it would be remiss of us not to, you know, to make reference to that. And you know, it's clearly been incredible, incredible amount of loss, an unbelievable amount of hard work and commitment from the NHS and various other support, um, supporting roles, whether it be teachers, you know, you name it, everybody that's kept us going, even the, you know, the people in the supermarket, etc. And you know, so, so, so I feel, you know. I can't help but do that when we're going to talk about some of these sort of hidden hidden sort of benefits that we that we've that we've got. So I think as we, I think it's challenged. I think I'm a better coach 
post-COVID than I was before. I think it's challenged a lot of my, I don't know about my beliefs, but certainly my practices and certain things that when you're often in an elite environment, you get caught up with, you know, programming and supervising to the nth degree. You know, we've got, you know, incredibly valuable um, players uh, that it's our duty of care and our role to look after them. So whether it be the most basic of things, we would be in the in gym monitoring them one-to-one, -one, you know, two-on-one, you know, with, with sort of small ratios with massive detail. Uh, assessments would be on point, our hands are on them, or assessing this, is this perfect, is that perfect, optimize this, optimize that. You know, I rehab a range of pathologies, whether it be soft tissue, muscular, joint, all from distance, from diagnosis to end stage return. And that was a challenge as a practitioner, mm -hmm. but we brought that practice now in. And we, we, we often, I'm sure Matt will, will, will vouch for how we're always working so hard to make and sometimes pay a little bit of lip service to it. And maybe sometimes we're the barriers to these independent, autonomous, mature athletes that are in control of their recovery, in control of their preparation, in control of their performance. Yet we're there every step of the way, controlling every little thing and giving them the answer to every little thing that they do, rather than just stepping back and allowing it to happen. And maybe, maybe at times, you know, we can be we can be part of that problem, and as part of the, you know, one of the downfalls of, of professionalism now. I was lucky enough to be in some, you know, some rugby dressing rooms, you know, 10, 15 years ago, seeing the back end of the transition from amateurism into professionalism, and seeing a lot of these players who had worked in the professional sense, whether it's been, you know, whether they, we, we all know them, the guys that, that play that were solicitors and policemen and postmen, you name it. And I think that coming from that into professionalism, I think bred a different type of professional. And I think now the dressing room is a different place. Um, and I think that the independence that some of the guys would have got from this period I think is going to hold them in good stead as athletes, and then and then hold us in good stead as ref the reflective practitioners that we are. Mm. I, I think it holds them in good stead as people. Yeah, you know, regardless of being the athletes. And it was one of those things I scribbled down earlier on, and we're kind of we're, we're kind of getting halfway. And you know, my kind of summary, I guess, from the first half is planning for uncertainty is quite challenging. Um, mm especially if you don't know the end point that that makes it really tough um uh the importance of connecting with people would certainly come through but the other piece i think that came through for me was was creating autonomous players and being able to that they they feel empowered to manage their own programs yeah uh it's something that coaches i think really need to consider how they help players become more autonomous um, because there's so many coaches still that believe they have to own everything and the coach is king or queen and it, it's actually the entire opposite of what we want to try and create we want to we want to try and create that but the fact that you said that you know 
the unintended outcome of this is that players have, have, have become a bit more like this and you've had to reflect on how you work in the environment that you do. I think it's been something that we've all suggested that is absolutely the direction of travel that we should be going in. Um, but it's it's challenging, you know, how we get to that stage. So as we kind of then move out, um, so as, as we're heading to, to a bit more of a return to play and um, you know, rugby of, you know, so every sport has a return to play plan that has to go through DCMS. Rugby have just moved to, moved to stage C. So um, what that looks like now for the grassroots coaches may look slightly different to, to others. Um, but what happens next? So Matt, you've got some girls that will have done a bit, may have done a bit, will tell you they've done a bit more than they have done. Some that might have been super keen. You know, what, what are the kind of key things now that you want to be saying to coaches, right? These are the things you need to look for and the kind of practices and, and considerations that are vital moving forwards. Yeah, I, I think... I appreciate that's a massive question, yeah. by the way, in one there. Yeah. I think I think the first thing is that the process of planning training and the is is still the same. Um, so the the principles and the and the, the principles of programming are still the same. The principles of, of fitness that we we might might use to plan. Um, the demands of the game are still the same. Um, so all all that that process is is still you know it's still basically the same process. The same process I would have been teaching to students last year. Is, is the same process, but but what's changed is that the complications around that. Okay. Um, when you say, sorry, Matt. When you say the principles are the same, what what yeah. are those kind of key principles that you would be then thinking about? Because you know you're a, you have a yeah. level of expertise in this. What are the kind of key principles that you're talking about there? Yeah. So so if I I, I tend to use uh, there's a model kind of a model that I would use that that kind of looks at you, you look at what what the sport needs. And the determinants of the performance of the sport, um, and then you, you kind of you, you sort of work back from there, really. Um, so I'll try and sort of talk you through that um, a little bit better. Um, so yeah, you, you then then look at kind of what the determinants of that, that that performance is, and that from my perspective, I tend to look at that from a physical, but you you've also got technical, tactical, psychological, all feed into that, um, and that kind of sets up what your training goals are. And the type of exercises you might choose, the kind of drills, um, and and then you, you're into the organisation of how you do that within a session, within a training week. Um, the stuff that coaches do sort of day in, day out, um, and then looking at the quality of the training and the quantity of the training. Um, and from that, you sort of get to the point where you prescribe your training session or what, what we term your external loads, so what, what you actually want the players to do. But, but of course, you're going to get a very different response to that. And and we have with, with girls footballers, we have a number of things and, and any youth athlete really that that complicate that. And that that can be the training status, it can be growth and maturation, the the environment that they, they might be in, um, health status, previous injuries, all these different things, genetics, all all affect the kind of internal load or the and the adaptations you get from that training session. Um, but now that's just become even more complicated um, because we've, we've got a bit lesser idea of what they've been doing. We know that 
for kids that that more I think 46 percent or so according to Sport England of children were 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 hitting the, the daily activity guidelines that Sport England set and we know that's dropped down to about 20 percent or less than 20 percent so we know a lot of kids are doing very little um we've probably got some kids so there's I think one in eight kids are doing more so we've, we've got some kids they were like you say are probably doing loads uh, and are doing loads and really getting out being really active spending taking this extra time they've got to you know to be fitter and, and really engage in the stuff that we've given them and some that aren't or some that are engaging but not telling us so you've got lots of different you've just got so many individual variations in in where people are coming in in that that you've got to, got a plan for and I, I think that that just makes the whole process so much more complicated um because where you've always going to have variety in a squad of players or a squad of athletes that that variety is now just just increased um equally i suppose you could look at that from a psychological perspective and you're probably going to find that there's there's some people really anxious about turning up to training there's other people who just can't wait to get in there so it's just a much more complex environment to to plan for um so i suppose things we've tried to do what we're actually trying to fitness test them <laughs> Um, so we're, we're just getting them to do a 1,200 meter run on a flat surface and we're, we're trying to look at that. We've got them to do it on three occasions so far to try and see whether we're getting any reliable information. And, and we tried it with a, with a women, women's side and it, it worked really well. Um, so we're, we're getting some reasonable data in from the players, although it's, with the youth athletes are still learning after three attempts, we're still getting a bit better. So we might need to ask them to do it again. Um, so that's given us a, a bit of an estimation of a general kind of aerobic fitness. Um, and and from the engagement we're having with Zoom, we've got a reason where we're putting drills in where we can have a look at how well are they landing, how well are they uh, able to do some basic kind of biomechanical screening that we, we'd normally do. Um, and we, we're not doing that formally, but we're getting a reasonably good picture of, of how the players are doing. And actually those that have been with us and engaging every week, I, I think some of those basic movement patterns they're the things we've been able to do, so that they're pretty good. Um, but again, that there's some players who haven't engaged, who who we we need to presume are going to um, the fundamental movement skills just going to have dropped off considerably with this period, um, which makes them more injury risk, harder to push on. So we're trying to get as bet, I suppose, in a short, we're trying to get as bet a handle as we can before we 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 actually get back into training in a few weeks. Um, so that can try and help us kind of um, work around some of these, these big differences so whether we can group them in certain groups um, and, and, try and um, try and make sure it's a safe environment for all the players to come back to so we don't end up with half the team injured after about three or four weeks. Um, but, but that's difficult. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I suppose one other thing we do, we, we, we tend we, we monitor them on things like self-reported soreness and things like that. And that, that has been quite useful. I know from a scientific point of view, we can uh, criticize some of these these scales. We just have a seven point scale from very sore to, you know, feeling great really. Um, and, and that's actually been quite useful. We can see if we've done a session with someone on the next day that they are particularly sore, then we know we just need to be a little bit careful um, next session and we use a simple rpe as well scale after any training we give them and, and that's been quite useful because we can see those players that are maybe finding the sessions harder than we'd expect and and that gives us some feedback that we might need to just just ease that back a little bit for that player uh, for the next session 
So uh, metrics like that, if you can use a simple RPE scale um, or a, a I mean, scale, rate of perceived possible. exertion, is that what you're talking about? Rate of perceived exertion, yeah. The, exertion, sorry, yeah. We, we tend to use the, the Borg scale. There's lots of scales banded around, but if you are going to use one, try and stick to, to one of Borg's original scales, which you can just get by Googling it. Um, and we use the CR100 scale, but the, there's a the CR10 as well, which, which is a simpler one to ten scale, um, and it, it works quite well for, for our players. They understand it. Um, we tend to use it more with the fourteens and sixteens than the the sort of the younger children, um, and it and it, it does give us some valuable information. Um, but we do have to keep reiterating to the players to to make sure they fill it in, and uh, and as always, we don't get we don't get everyone particularly remotely. Mm, sure. Um, but it does give us some. It does give you some kind of valuable information on how hard the different the players found that session and what you need to adapt moving uh, into the next week. And what we use as a group afterwards. We'll just have a little chat after the session, and we'll try and if you see the scores coming in, we'll we'll try and pick that up and and sort of talk through it as a kind of coaching team. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's so much stuff in there. That I mean, that shows the breadth of different things from a physical area that. That you guys have to even consider that you know, for, for, and as coaches, we probably wouldn't even understand the amount of stuff that you had to consider, which which does make it part of the whole complex jigsaw that we're trying to put together there. Um, one of the things I'm, I'm interested in from your perspective as a physio, Matt, and this might be dragging you into some undergrad days as opposed to some applied practice right now, um, is some of that impact of growth and maturation. Um, so. Uh, and, and the same for you, Ali, I guess, as a physio, sorry, that, you know, you might not have seen some players for four or five months and all of a sudden they've grown two inches in that time that you haven't seen them, um, which creates a few issues. What are the kind of things, Ali, that we that we could be looking for when you haven't seen somebody for, for that amount of time that that may happen from a growth and maturation perspective but will have a knock-on into how they perform as an athlete or as a player? Yeah, so um, this probably isn't quite so relevant to, to my cohort that I that I work with and, and, and hasn't been the case. There's been other aspects of deconditioning which would have been a little bit more a little bit more relevant. But I think what Matt was touching on, I suppose it's the is the outcomes of these developmental phases and whether that has an impact on their fundamental movement skills. Um, and I think the way in which Matt's gone about it, one day works quite a bit on all of these fundamentals, whether it be squat, hinge, lateral movements, control of rotation, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but you could certainly see if somebody's had had some sort of, you know, phase shift with respect to their development, that they could go from somebody that was in control of their body to sort of not being in control of their body anymore. And and I'm sure Matt's got a battery of, um, you know, movement screens, yeah. which he might have a backlog of information on for the athlete, as I would have. Uh, with mine, and it would be about revisiting those and seeing if there's any deviation from the from the means that you've got. But you know, for those that maybe don't have that sort of you know back catalogue, um, then yeah, it's just about using that coach's eye. Um, the ones that look like maybe they've um, they've grown or shifted or, or changed their their body type in that time, 
is about keeping a keeping either a close eye just on how they're generally moving and how they're generally moving would be dependent on the movement that you expose them to um and listening to matt it was clear that you know you've taken an extremely diligent approach to to making sure that all of these movement boxes are being ticked but but one of the things that i sort of wanted to say and and i think matt really said it was don't get caught in the trap of people that haven't been um training for a long time just all of a sudden getting them to run around the track or run up and down in a, in a linear way. I think as coaches, there's some great ways of safely introducing people to multi-directional activity. And not only that, multi-directional activity that has some sensory and perceptual elements to it, because it's one thing being able just to move or shuffle laterally or hop on the spot but that has no contextual relevance to somebody that might be jumping and catching a ball overhead, you know, whilst an opponent's trying to get them. And there's ways in which all of you as coaches will have some real creative ways of doing it. And essentially by taking a constraint-based approach and about looking at the game, similar to what Matt said about looking at the demands of the game and thinking, well, I play a field-based sport with multi-directional athletes. Now they've not trained for a long time and I all of a sudden don't want to expose them. You know, it'd be very reasonable to think you don't want to expose them to that sort of thing that could, could, could put them at risk. But if you just sort of shrink the, the area in which they're working in, they all of a sudden can't hit the maximum the velocities and create the momentum which would put them at risk. But at the same time, they're getting the contextual information and feedback, which they haven't been having for a long period of time, and get it safely straight away. And obviously, you know, one would have to determine, you know, who the group is that you're working with, what sort of state athletes are, and it may well be that that you'd want to just break it down a little bit further initially. But, um, but yeah. So, so ultimately, an answer to your to your question, you know, it's using your eyes initially to see highlight anybody that you think may have shifted or changed or be deconditioned in a certain specific way, exposing them either to, to sort of functional movement patterns uh, in an isolated way so you can see or just use the coach's eye when, uh, when just generally performing in, you know, in, in activities. Mm -hmm. uh, it's important, I think, we, we start to consider the, the whole of the player when we start to think about this. So some you know, we might have seen a young person that has, you know, gone through a, a growth spurt and all of a sudden come back five, six centimetres taller. But the impact on that is technically they might not be able to do what they did before yeah. because their limbs are at different lengths and, they, you know, they might not be able to function in that kind of way. But psychologically, that has an impact on them because they know they can't do what they did before and if it's a team sport and their peers start getting them and give them some grief as well there's a social impact so there's some real concerns that we just have to be aware of across mm. the full dimension of when we're working with young players that as coaches we're now likely to see this fully transparent right in front of you but as ali said really use your coach's eye to start to do that and and again from an entirely um biased position of my own view on coaching hearing you talk about making sure that um, the context of the movement is considered 
linked to actually what the determinants of the sport are is is so so important and I, I still shudder when I see people saying oh well we're doing agility and you see them running through ladders and I'm like well in my sport my agility happens in relation to something else that's happened you know it's the a ball has moved or or one of their opposition has moved or one of my teammates has moved that creates my agility um or, or what tends to be happen now is somebody stops all of a sudden quickly and I have to move in a different direction and it, it shifts and everything. But what we're put, talking about there is the cues of the sport are driving that, not just running through a ladders, you know, which might teach you to be a great ballroom dancer maybe, but probably won't give you brilliant agility. Um, Matt, what was your thoughts on, on what Ali just talked about there? Yeah, I, I think I agree with everything Ali said, really. Um... I mean, particularly, I mean, I just wrote down the word TIG, actually, uh, as a game, a game of TIG. Um, but yeah. Or tag to the Southerners. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, simple things like that, um, getting people to respond to stimuli. But I think I think you can look at, from a, just sticking on the agility theme for a second, but um, I think there's there's two ways you can tackle it, and I think you need to do a bit of both. Um, you can look at it from a, a physical perspective, and, and you see certainly with it, with girls, particularly when they've gone through that growth spurt, the ability to stop, to land, to decelerate, which strength will help, but actually practicing those skills, practicing being able to stop to a position and decelerate, you know, with, without the the kind of um, the contextual factors, um, that can be really helpful. Spending a little bit of time working on that, can the can the hop and land on one leg, um, can the jump and land on two legs, the, those kind of drills, and they can be just put in the end of the warm up. Um, but then then also getting them into those small areas and getting them able putting constraints on games of TIG or, or various games of the ball, um, I think I think it's really important. So yeah, I agree with that. Um, and again, Ali made the point of using your coach's eye, so we can, we can do some quite you know. Um, quite in-depth biomechanical screening of, of, uh, of the players, um, which, which is great if you've got the time to do it. But if you're dealing with a squad of 30 players and you're on your own, um, you can't see so your coach's eye comes in um, comes in there. So when you're getting them to do certain movements or play these games of TIG or do some, or just, just be watching and see how they deal with it. You know, mm-hmm. Can they land quickly? Can they, can they absorb landings in different ways? Kind of stuff. You can just just watch it, watch it and see, and you'll you'll be able to pick up those that might need might need a little bit of extra work, or you might if you're going into a more complex and you're developing those drills. Maybe some players, some players who've gone through that growth spurt are struggling. You you might want to use them within in the drill in a different way. Maybe they're going to feed the ball in a little bit more rather than the moving quite as much, and then kind of w- work around it that way. So you you're never taking someone out because the look at risk, you're always involving them, but you might just make it a little bit easier for them in a certain situation, particularly, as you said, if they've gone through a growth spurt, then technically they might might have dropped off for a short period of time. So you you might need to look after that player a little bit. So it's, it's using your coach's eye and then trying to be creative in how you can manipulate the session, really. Mm-hmm. And delighted that the... Um... The, the the context of movement and linked to the cues and reaction are important in the equestrian world as well. You know, so uh, so what I thought wouldn't go across the horses. Clearly, we've covered some of that support as well for uh, 
as a request from people and, and how they go about that will probably be fascinating to start to understand because you're trying to work with that dynamic of a rider and a horse and um, Marianne and our team who's on here will, will definitely have a lot more expertise in that to, to support people with. Um, as we kind of get towards the end, um, what what are the real, if you had to say both of you, you know, here's three real practical tips to consider as you're going to start to return to play now. Um, uh, and we might be talking about coaches that don't have somebody like you alongside them that has this level of knowledge and they could be a coach on their own working with an individual or, or, or groups of, of people. Um, what, are the, what are the three things that you go, right, the, this is the stuff you should really just nail some of this as the basics as we try and return to play and we help young people or adults, whatever role that they might be playing. What are those three things that you go, yeah, this is what I would suggest. Ali, we'll start with you. Gosh. Um, so I quite like uh, the way Matt framed it. Um, it's certainly how we would approach return to play, which is sort of the bread and butter of a, a rehab sort of physio. You've got to know where you're trying to get to before you can sort of create the, that roadmap towards it. So that's the first thing. I would try and consider you know what the game looks like and consider it at the level to which you can understand it so it might be how long does the game last that you're playing or it could be you know down to you know what are the intensities of the running that you're going to be doing you know what are the nature of the movement that you're going to then then have to have to deliver is there a contact element because that's very, very relevant to uh, to rugby, for example, might not be relevant to, to all sports. And so you have that so sort of fundamental competency, and then you essentially will work your way back from there and sort of almost like create an, a regressive line from that point, and almost whether it be looking at those competencies, uh, as I say, intensity, duration, so on and so forth, and then gradually reducing them percentage-wise to that sort of safe point whereby your sort of, you know, your lowest common denominator can sort of cope with it uh, if you don't have the, the ability to sort of, you know, modify and individualize the people. You might just have to pitch it at the point at which you think that, you know, that, that lowest point can cope with it and then sort of, um, and then sort of build, again, build it from there. I think alongside that, um, again, not stealing max points, but I think having some method of monitoring how people are responding to what's there, to what's going on, whether that be something very basic and subjective, and in that case, some great examples about how you can do that. And some of these things feel very, very uh, inaccessible, but they actually can be made very accessible, um, especially for the IT savvy amongst us, um, you know, just the basic RPE. Uh, can give an idea of how people are, are coping with what's happening. Um, and then you just then just follow that uh, that course through. Uh, and again, I think, you know, for me, we thought and did a bit of brainstorming uh, at the start about what was going to be one of the biggest, um, you know, the biggest threats. And I think, I think we're all on the same page to a certain extent with respect to, yes, we do need to break down some of these fundamental competencies some, sometimes. And there are uh, there'll be moments to do that, whether that be at the end of a warm up within a within a training session, 
uh, within a gym session or whatever, but about just trying to create, um, you know, training uh, environment whereby the cues uh, and sort of perceptual stimuli that the, that these athletes are going to be exposed to when they actually return to play, that that's re reflected in their practice. Brilliant. Matt, anything else to add or anything different from um, Ali's really, really neat summary there? Yeah, I, I can add a little bit. I, again, I, I completely agree with what Ali said. Um, really good points. Um, the the bit, the ones that I wrote down were try to understand your players and, and I suppose their experiences before they get to you as much as you can um, to try and find out as much about them as you can that's going to help you understanding what their their experiences of the lockdown period have been. Um, the better you can do that, I think that will help you planning. Uh, I wrote it down coach's eye. So make sure when you've got them there that you really, I mean, you would do this anyway, but you really pay attention to that kind of coach's eye, monitoring how people are coping within the session. Um, and the other thing I put, uh, put down was a, a pint of Guinness. Um, good things come to those that wait. Um, so just nice and slowly probably does it, uh, I think, in terms of bringing people back. So as you're working, you think we're working the other way. So Ali quite nicely talks about working back from the game demands. Once you've got to that lowest common denominator, you might, particularly with youth athletes, I think it's a little bit different at the elite end where you've really got to get to those that performance. But um, take things steady. Uh, there's nothing wrong with working on the basics. They'll, um, they'll stand you in good stead in the long term. So, yeah. Take it slowly and steady. Mm, absolutely, thank you. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's it's. I've seen that you know people talking about well, we've got to try and catch up. Like, well, what what catch up to what? <laughs> yeah. Like that. Uh, everyone is in the same position. You're not trying to catch up to some strange group that have carried up. Like, you exactly it. Be patient and let's just kind of make sure that everybody gets safely back into playing and up to optimal level that they need to be you know there's there's no need to catch up on anything you know um and certainly when you're 14 you you know you've probably got a long while ahead to uh to worry about catching up with anything yet so um uh, yeah i just want to finish off by saying to you two particularly you know ali and matt thank you so much for um uh for giving up some time and both of you super busy uh, the different roles that you play and, and, and Ali, best of luck for the season. Thank you. Um, yeah, as we all start to kind of kick off and, and professional sport gets back going and, um, and certainly when the girls sports come back in as well, Matt, hope they, uh, hope they ease back into not catching up, but you get them into a good place. Um, yeah. So thank you very much for, for both of you. Join us at ukcoaching.org. Whatever you're doing to help people be active and improve, we can help you deliver great coaching experiences at a time to suit you.